feel like um, any of those sales training you go through, you, you have to understand who you are, really are uh, to be able to sell a product. And for me, I find that I'm just a very persistent person. Like if you don't tell me no, I'm going to continue to bug, bug you. <laughs> so I, I kept, uh, you know, on average, a bunch of, uh, most of my colleagues had, I would say anywhere between 200 to 500 um, leads in their pipelines. I have over a thousand and I, I just follow up and I'm pretty persistent. And uh, that's what makes me a great salesperson. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I have the privilege and the pleasure of interviewing Jim Lee. He came to America at 11 from Taiwan. He had a saver's mentality. We're going to talk about how we overcome the saver's mentality and go to the investing mentality, which is something we're crazy passionate about here at the Freedom Chasers podcast. And he's done a lot of really cool things like syndicating 200 unit apartment complexes and beyond. So if you are interested in learning a little bit more about maybe how to do four steps to 200K in passive income, this is the episode for you. Jim, thanks for coming on. Tell us a little bit about it. What are the four steps to creating $200,000 in uh, annual passive income? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show, Matt. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so the first steps, I would say, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, first is choosing the right property in the right market, doing the research, the due diligence, um, and then grow your property value. Step two is grow your property values uh, faster. Um, so what that means is just forced appreciation, you know, add amenities, add, add value to your property. Um, and then third is definitely just invest bigger, think bigger, right, with less risk. So we can talk a little bit more about that, how you're able to achieve that uh, through real estate syndication. Um, and then the, the final step was, is just to automate the property management. And that's pretty straightforward. As you know, you and I know, as a real estate investor, we, you can either be active, very actively involved or passive involved. Um, so I think at the end goal for everyone is to be passive so that we can all be financially free one day. So when you say automate the property management, uh, give us a little broader context. Cause I mean, I, I have property managed, but I've never been able to automate the property management. Yeah. When, when I say automate property management, I'm actually uh, talking about invest with people who has built the system and processes. So like, for example, when, when we syndicate a hundred plus unit apartment building, we're able to attract you know, a high caliber property management company who's already built the system uh, uh, process in place. And th those, those are the ones that you want to partner with. And they are going to be running, they, they, they've been doing it for, you know, 20, 30 plus years. And they have the operation down. They know exactly what, what to look for in, in, in times of, you know, for example, during the downtime. Um, so they, they basically have everything, you know, down to the T. So that's what I mean by that. Awesome. And so basically you're doing a who not how concept where you, you're very selective. Now you're obviously doing syndication. So you have these partners that run the GP of these syndications. And so one of your, or two of your partners has that down, down cold, right? Is that, is that right? Absolutely. So when we talk about forming these partnerships, like if, if you're looking to someone else to have the property management, like what value do you bring to these transactions? To the syndication? Uh, 
for now, I bring in in terms of raising capital, I can bring capital to the table. Um, I can also bring investor relation because that that's the background I come from. I used to work at Lutnet CoStar, and uh, I was an inside sales rep. So all I did was make a lot of phone calls. So um, that's what that's the value I I bring to the table. So let's talk about that. So I mean, obviously, Lutnet, a commercial real estate software. Now, when you're making these calls, are you making calls to get more brokers on the software or what was the sales process? Yeah. So just like anybody, I mean, if you search on Google, LoopNet is basically Zillow for commercial real estate, right? If you type in any commercial building, LoopNet's number one search result, everybody can create a free account on there. Um, but the concept of LoopNet is free cannot see free. So if you sign up as a free searcher, you cannot see the free listing. And vice versa, if you sign up as a free lister, um, the free searches cannot see you. So only the pay searches can see you if you list your property for free. If you pay to list, everybody can see your property. So my job at, at the company is to sell subscription, to get the searchers and listers to paid searcher and pay listers. And they, you obviously, they had a little bit of warmth because they're already using the platform. They probably want to buy it, but they look at the cost. Because LoopNet's expensive, right? I mean, especially if you're talking about like a residential agent just kind of dabbling in the waters, thinking about going into commercial, that's a big spend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, you know, working at LoopNet being my first job, it taught me a lot about real estate. You know, um, to to these real estate investors, it's this is, these, this is chump change. <laughs> the subscription is chump change, but they're still very cheap to pay for it. And I understand. You know, we're, we're trying to save up as much and invest as much as we can. Uh, but at the end of the day, the, it's just an additional tool for you to be able to leverage to find out the comparables, the facts, and what's on the market and what's out there. Just basically, you know, just more information. Now, unlike the residential market where MLSs are very separated and regional, the LoopNet's like a national system, right? I mean, if you buy into to it, do you automatically get access to data across the country? Yeah, um, LoopNet pretty much uh, goes across pretty, the whole country, but CoStar, they do it by region. Um, they try to capitalize as much as they can. And CoStar is probably 10 times more expensive than LoopNet. Yeah. So now you were talking about bringing money and, and having these investor relations. So I'm, I'm guessing there was some element of, as you were calling these commercial brokers and getting them onto the paid platforms, you were building these relationships that you would leverage later on. Is that, is that accurate? Um, that was actually one of the biggest mistakes I, I, I made when I was young. Um, I didn't, I didn't save any of those contacts. The, 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 the way how I, I managed to build a, a list of investors was after I quit my W2 job and got a real estate license, um, I started making phone calls as a realtor. And, um, I called a bunch of, uh, many absentee owners and that's how I started to build the list of investors. And, and these are, did you go into commercial straight away? No, I didn't. Um, I started off with residential just like you and then, um, tried to make a career out of it. And I found that it wasn't a good fit for me. Um, I, I didn't like the emotional sales of it and I'm more of a black and white, you know, persons a numbers guy and that's how i started to explore other avenues to make uh, money with real estate and in during lockdown that's when i started uh, exploring syndication 
Got it. And as you started exploring, did you start calling commercial brokers just like you did absentee owners or what was your process to get in the commercial side? Yeah. So when I first started, uh, it was actually my investor who introduced this show called uh, the Rail Say Guy radio show for me to kind of listen, tune in the podcast. And on the show, they pitched about syndication all the time. And that's how I started, uh, you know, studying syndication. I went out and as soon as the lockdown, you know, opened, I went out to Texas, networked with these guys. And I realized that, you know, just like as a realtor, you have to constantly put yourself out there, network, build relationships. And that's, that's what it's all about. At the end of the day, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, I know I'm not the, uh, the best person to source and underwrite these commercial deals. So essentially I, I found a business partner who's got track record experience. He's been doing it for 10 plus years and he works on the operation side. So he takes care of all of that. Amazing. And so you're watching this radio show. It's getting you fired up. Like, I mean, being in the non-emotional side, like, do you get fired up or what was it like listening to that show? Yeah, absolutely. I got fired up. I was listening to that show religiously every day because they talk about, they invite all kinds of experts, right? Airbnb experts, you know, land, industrial, anything you can name of. They, they, they've invited guests that comes on the show to speak. And there's, so there's so many ways of making money in real estate. Like there's thousands of ways and you just have to find something, your niche, you know, and, and, and just focus on that. Uh, and there's plenty of money to go around. So you had capital to invest in these syndications. Like how did you come by that capital? Um, it all starts with friends and family. Uh, my first deal, it's all in my family. It, you know, they, 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 they see the, the growth, the struggle for me to quit my W-2 job transition to become a realtor and from realtor to become a syndicator. Um, took a lot of hard work and they, they witnessed everything and they believed in me more than the deal. So they started investing in me. And from there, once I started making them money, you know, there's referrals, there's other friends and family, and then they just organic, organically started to invest. And now I'm working on you know, just building a marketing platform to also put myself out there uh, to be able to, you know, get people to know me and, and build relationship uh, through the internet as well. Was it hard for you to ask for money from friends and family? No, it wasn't. I mean, cause you it were... wasn't because it wasn't because I've always been in real estate for pretty much my whole life since my first job right out of college to, you know, investing in my, the first deal that I bought as a short sale, two bedroom, one bathroom condo to investing in a hundred plus unit apartment building. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, it took time for me to get to where I'm at. And I did, I, I felt confident that, you know, I was going to not only be able to create financial freedom for myself, but also for my friends and family. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. 
The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Yeah. And, and so that confidence just came from your past track record in doing other types of deals. Right. Yeah. So you did your first syndication was a 200 unit deal in Orlando at a time where interest rates are starting to go up, which is a huge part of whether or not deals can get done. And you had mentioned pre-show that like literally you're just about at the finish line and a huge amount of money backs out, which that's not an uncommon story for someone doing their first syndication. So kind of take us into that story and how did you guys solve that problem? Yeah. So, I mean, at the end of the day, we sourced out pretty much private equity. We looked at all kinds of options, um, getting a second loan for, for the property as well. Um, but in the end, we were able to take that money. We, we weren't able to close that particular deal because, like I said, the, the big investor backed out. But um, the lease sponsor offered us a spot in another deal. Um, just down the street. And we were fortunate enough to be able to uh, tr basically transfer all that funds onto the, that deal. Awesome. And so you, step, you kept in good contact with those investors, coached them through the process of, okay, well, it's not going to be this one. What was their response? Was it like an easy communication, uh, getting them to move over to the new deal? Or did you have a lot of people that were a little bit skeptical? Yeah, it was it was an easy conversation just because the, the other deal is literally down the street and everyone's aware of where, what's surrounded like all it's a it's 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 a classy building, but it's located in a class A neighborhood. It's got really good amenities around shopping malls, you know, market centers and stuff like that. Um, and the community is growing. And so it wasn't it wasn't a difficult um, transition because all the projections are very similar, you know, because a hundred plus units, all, all, pretty much all everyone projects the same thing. It's 8% cash on cash return with 2X equity and multiple. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, everything is pretty much stayed the same. And so if you're taking a class C building, are you guys trying to bump it to a class B or are you trying to go all the way to class A? Our business plan is projecting just to bump up to class B. As soon as we 2X equity multiple, we're going to sell it. Yeah. And so what, what does the, give us the details of the, of the deal if you can, right? Like, I mean, what's the purchase price? How much are you looking to put into it? Yeah. So the total cost, uh, including CapEx is 50 million. Um, we raised 10 million for this deal. Um, and then we have another 10 million that's, um, preferred equity. So they pretty much act like, like a bank. And then the rest of them is just loan. Um, like I mentioned earlier, it's an 8% pref return to X equity multiple, um, night building 1970 class, uh, classy apartment building. It's 200 units total. Um, 
what we project is we hold the property for five years, um, add value over time. You're not going to get the first, uh, first year, you're not going to get the cash flow, the distribution. However, whatever we don't pay, that 8% that we don't pay the first year, it accumulates. That's what preferred means. Um, so you can look at about 28% annualized return once we sell the property at the end of a uh, five-year hold period. So the main goal is just as soon as everybody's getting 2x on their money, they're getting cashed out. Exactly. So if we got an offer in year two or three and it's already 2x, we're going to sell it. Yeah. And that happens. But those are rare, rare, uh, rare unicorn deals. Yeah. Well, and then the people that are buying those, right, are maybe looking to take it from B to A or, or what would, why would someone buy it at that point after, you know, why oh, would they give you... There's always something wrong with the property. I mean, like, even if, like, for example, the the previous owner, right, the previous seller who sold this property to us, um, they run through the whole cycle already, five years. And they, they I think they also 2x their money, like 1.8 or 1.9x. Um, but when, when we took over the project, there was just, the, the property looks really nice. That's, that's, that's not, uh, it's just like exteriors, everything is, looks really nice like they painted the whole place but the problem with that is you know they had um people from california that owned this place so they didn't have boots on the ground in florida so what happened was that they had hundreds of work orders backed up and we weren't aware of it when we took over the project um which i guess that's part of the due diligence that we missed out um and then once we took over the property management company was like uh we can't handle all this. And um, it took a while for our marketing to catch up because our occupancy rate was at around 80%. So it was really eating our cash reserves. So that, that was one mistake and one lesson we learned um, to, to make sure to do very clear due diligence so that you don't add up. It's, you know, to answer your question earlier, so there's always something wrong with real estate. I think even if we make it to class B, um, other people are going to be able to still add value to it. There's always, there, there's a lot of things that, that, that can, you know, that gives you opportunity to, you know, increase the value of the property. So why have you guys set your sights on 2X as opposed to just taking that building as far as it can go? Good question. So we like to re-leverage the money. Um, that's why as soon as we 2X, We'll sell it. We'll give you two. Let's say if you invest a hundred thousand, you get two hundred thousand back. You can re-leverage and invest that two hundred thousand in two other syndication, right? Um, that's the name of the game. I mean, that's that's why everybody's trying to do is just in real estate. As soon as you're able to make some money, sell it and then reinvest it. However, there are some people that prefer infinite return, and so that's just holding the property forever. But you know, starting off. It, it just depends on what stage of investing you're at. Since I'm just starting off, that's not going to happen because I need to exit some deals to show track record to my investor. So, you know, that's another reason. Um, if I was at later stage, if I've been doing syndication for 20 years, heck yeah, I would always look, I would only look for infinite return and just hold the property for as long as I can. Because at that point, it's just preserving wealth, right? You're not really trying to build so essentially you as a newer syndicator probably are generally going to be paired with, you know, newer stage investors. 
newer stage investors like to see their capital turnover and proof of concept, so on and so forth, just as you're trying to build proof of concept. But the longer you go in the game, right, the more wealth you build, the more you're like, I don't want the headache of having to find another LP position to put my money in. Like, let's just let it roll. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Your, your, your investment philosophy changes over time. Yeah. As your wealth increases. Yeah. Right. And so, and we see this a lot. I mean, especially from people like going from residential into, you know, even the jump from residential to commercial is usually one of the phases of the investment evolution, right? Like, Hey, I recognize that doing these one by houses, one by one, I mean, it would take a lot. Why don't I just go get a building instead? Yeah. Good point. So that's, that's the main reason why I got into uh, multifamily syndication. It's, it's the skill, uh, scalability, right? You can um, build single family resident, you know, one at a time, you know, buy a property, but you can only qualify for up to 10 Freddie, you know, Fannie Mac loans, right? Um, multifamily builds wealth much faster. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, you're also able to attract higher caliber people, real estate agent, lender, property manager to work with you when you buy a hundred plus unit apartment building versus one single family resident. Yeah. Now you went to UCLA and sales was a big part of your process. Like where did you learn sales and what was your process? I learned sales because, uh, after I graduated from UCLA back in 2010, I'm pretty sure you're aware that's right after the 2008 subprime mortgage mortgage crash, uh, followed by the 2010 European debt crisis. So it was a really difficult time to find a job. I was actually jobless for a year. And during that time, I went through probably like hundreds of interviews. I got so good at selling myself to the point where I landed an inside sales role, which is perfect fit because I'm a introvert and I can just sit in the office, make dials all day long. And that's how I was able to, you know, learn the sales uh, skill set at uh, working at LoopNet. Yeah. So that was, that was your first real spot after college was inside sales for LoopNet. Right. What was the training program like there? I mean, did they have like really detailed scripts of great sales trainers or was it kind of like, you know, here's a list of brokers and go, go bring us some business. I mean, it's typical corporate training. You have one week and then they tell you always be closing ABC, <laughs> things like that. Yeah. And, and then, then you have like different kinds of people, like the drivers, you know, emotional, emotions, selling emotions and stuff like that. So very straightforward uh, sales training. But I think, I feel like um, any of those sales training you go through, you have to understand who you really are uh, to be able to sell the product. And for me, I find that I'm just a very persistent person. Like if you don't tell me no, I'm going to continue to bu bug you. <laughs> so I, I kept, uh, you know, on average, a bunch uh most of my colleagues had, I would say anywhere between 200 to 500 um, leads in their pipelines. I have over a thousand and I, I just follow up and I'm pretty persistent. And uh, that's what makes me a great salesperson. Do you kind of have that same philosophy and strategy when it comes to raising money for the deals you're doing? Yes. Um, because I have a good handful of investors that have money. But right now they're all just sitting sideline. And I also believe that it's probably because I don't have any track record. I just started. So it's really hard for them to hand their money over to me to help help them manage it. 
So, you know, I'm going to continue to persist. If they don't say no or not interested, don't bug me. I'm going, going to continue to call them and every, every time I have a deal or send them an email about it. Awesome, man. So next 12 to 18 months, what's your uh, vision for your life and business? I would like to do a couple more deals. Um, like to stay in the multifamily space. And hopefully I can uh, uh, also refi from my first deal. That's a that's a big plus. If I if I can pull some if I can pull some capital out for my investors and make you know big distribution, that that will be a good selling point for my other investors as well. Hundred percent. Well, Jim Lee, thanks, man, for coming on the show. Thanks for sharing about your life and your business. I love how you were a, a salesman, man. That that uh, is my journey too. So you know, kudos on that. So guys, if you're out there listening, like write down something you learned. Maybe it's a scalability factor. Maybe it's four steps to how to get to 200k passive. Uh, and, and just a number of things that we talked about today, but write down something you learned, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is required one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 